podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. As more sectors across Ireland are reopening, the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment is changing. If you're currently receiving this payment, the amount you receive will change from the 16th of November. To find out more about how these changes will affect you, visit gov.ie forward slash PUP changes. A Government of Ireland initiative brought to you by the Department of Social Protection. Welcome to Blood and Mud's spin-off content, A Rugby Life, where we have a chat with somebody about their life in rugby, because it does what it says on the tin, it's clever like that. Um, I'm Lee Calvert of Blood and Mud, and joining me is from the rival podcast that does a little bit better than us, it must be said, is <laughs> Mr. Jonathan Beerbore, also known as JB. How are you doing? Hello, mates. Yes, I am very, very well, thanks. I feel that this is a bit like uh, Anchorman, you know, when the two news teams meet. <laughs> I start insulting each other's mothers. That escalated quickly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very much so. So, as I said, we're going to talk about your life in rugby. Are you, are you still playing now? I most certainly am. And how old, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you now? Uh, do you know, well, so I was talking about this today in work with the with the girls, because all the, all the girls in, in work with me are substantially younger. And I always say I'm 36. I'm not, I'm 34, but I, I say that <laughs> just so I feel better when I actually remember how old I am. Because 34, when you're playing rugby, is actually very old. Every, Absolutely you know, it is, yeah. Yeah, you work out that in your team, you are comfortably the eldest and everyone else is talking about, you know, uh, whatever, Love, Love Island or something. Thirty-four, round about thirty-four is the point at which professional sportsmen stop being the same age as you. Yes, you, yes. You spend a big chunk of your life with professional sportsmen being roughly your age, and you can feel like you're somehow at one with them. And then you think, oh shit, no, they're all kids now. It's when you realise that you can't make it. It's that's the real problem. <laughs> yeah. When did you? Well, let's talk about that then. So, you, you're from Clandidno in North Wales, is that right? No, oh, I'm, from okay. Pen, I'm from Penryn Bay. All ah, right, yeah. Between Colwyn Bay and Clandidno. Yes, I'm which, aware of it. And yeah. That, yeah, so the closest town is Clandidno. Uh, Colwyn Bay's further away, but my rugby club is literally across the fields from me, and that and that is Colwyn Bay Rugby Club. So when did you start playing rugby? At what age? Uh, well, I started playing because I was terrible at football. Um, yeah. I kind of knew I was good at wrestling, and <laughs> there was a a rugby field across the way. And I kept on asking my parents, will you, uh, will you take me to rugby? They, uh, they never did. And it was the New Year's game. It was Colwyn Bay. And I literally put on some uh, wellies, walk, like, walked across a field. And uh, I asked, do you, do you have a team? And the answer was, no, we don't. But you can play with kids one year younger than uh, younger than you, which when you were like 11 or 10 or whatever it is, is a, is a big deal. So I started to believe I was very good. Obviously, when you then get moved up to the year with kids that are one year older than you, you realise that you're pretty average. So you're not was... from a rugby family then or anything? Your brother didn't play, your dad didn't play? No, nothing like that. Although they they said that they liked the rugby. Uh, North Wales, as you probably know, is all about football. Yes. Else. It's either United or Liverpool. So you went across to Colby Bay and you were about 11 and that was it then, was it? You were sold? Did you find that you just love rugby full stop? Yeah, literally, uh, this is how you know you're not you're not good at sports. Um, I was playing rugby, and if you think about the ten thousand hour rule, yeah, I was playing rugby on Saturdays, a full game uh, with the Colts. I was playing sometimes on a Wednesdays with school. Uh, we we would train Tuesdays and Wednesdays with school, and then I would train 
on my own, and I'd also train with Colwyn Bay uh, Tuesday, Thursday nights. Sorry, school was on a, on a Friday, Friday afternoon, and I'd do all that as much as much as I could continually. And I I've carried on training as much as I could all the way through my twenties, and even till today. If there's anything to do with the ball, I will be there. You're quite and I'm still good. <laughs> You're quite well. Let's pick up that. So you said when you were at eleven, you were playing with younger people. You look quite good. What you know, I don't have any problem in saying that I knew I wasn't very good. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't very good. What what was your level? Did you play county level? Did you play anything like that? Never. I mean, uh, I remember walking into the club with my old coach Mark uh, Mark Earl. Now Mark Earl is a very is a very interesting man because he um, was literally the only person that I'd ever met who had any kind of brush with sporting success. And that's because he was in the Pontypridd second second team. And we were walking into uh, the changing rooms and he said, uh, he turned around to me, I was like 20, 21. I might have even been younger than that. He turned around to me and he goes, uh, Jay, uh, do we have anyone that you can think of that would be suitable for North Wales? And, and just... <laughs> Not do you fancy it? But who, <laughs> yeah. who, who do you know? It wasn't a trick question to lure you in. They go, actually, I meant you, Jay. That didn't follow yeah. up. It was just, no, it's, no, it's not you. It, it was a test. No, it wasn't a test. <laughs> if it was, I failed it. Yeah. So you played all the way through at Colin Bay. A forward, back. What were you? Back. Played on the wing. And the only thing which kept me going was a massively inflated, um, a massively inflated sense of self worth. I always thought that. Maybe if I just got, you know, maybe if I just tried a little bit harder, it would all click. And it, I, and on the wing, to be honest, it never, re- it never really did. Was that was what? Why couldn't catch the ball? Lack of pace. Everything. Lack of pace. <laughs> lack, uh, lack, lack of coaching. Pace wasn't too bad. I, I, I was always a fairly big, uh, always a fairly big bloke. And it wasn't until I went over to Manchester, mm. um, when I joined Broughton Park. And you know the first few years of coaching there was equally as bad as Colwyn Bay. But you know I did make I did did do two two things. One, um, I got sick of the coach there because the coach was a guy who once played for Ireland. Um, you know he might have played for Ireland, but an absolutely abysmal coach uh, who just never just just never uh, never pit me on the wing. So I decided right I'm going to move in into the forwards, and that was looked after by a really really great guy. And then from there. It was a slow grinding process by a bloody old school coach, but you know you started to slowly get better. And I do think that you know I, I, I do think a lot of things like, for instance, if I had eaten eaten properly and worked out a lot, I would have been better at rugby. Well, that's self evident. But the other thing which I which would have improved me massively at rugby is if I'd have played in the right position from an early age. And actually, that leads me on to something else, which is there is this pathological um, kind of theory now, which is all kids have to play different positions and so on and so forth. No, no, no. Find the position that you're good at early doors and stick to it. I think there's something about, I think that can be conflated with skills development, the different position thing. And I think skills development is massively important because otherwise just massive blokes can't pass when they get to the age of 15 or whatever. Massive yeah. So, but yeah, I see what you're saying because there is something about, I think in rugby union in particular, rugby league, not so much. Rugby union does have high specialism. Yes. Seriously absolutely. high specialism. If, if you are a second row, right, uh, and I've played a lot of second row now, your basic job is to hit as many rucks as you possibly can. And that sounds like a basic, simple job. But actually, you know, re- 
wrestling around in a ruck, knowing you know how low to, how low to get your shoulders, hitting it at the right velocity at the right angle, it's actually a bit of an art. So knowing what hard work look, looks like is a quality all in itself. And if you if you come in from the centres because you're a big lad and you play second row, you will have no idea what you're doing, even though second row is the simplest of all the positions, mm. probably. And that's that's about the line out stuff. There's something when I came over and played. I played union in school and I played rugby league when I was at uni, and I came back to union afterwards. And there is there is something about the rhythms of union that are really hard to coach. Yes, there's yes. something you have to play, and there's there's a rhythm to it that you can't do in a drill. Yeah, and I'll give you a great example of that. The first game I ever watched was Japan versus Samoa, and I was looking at the breakdowns, and. I was still looking at the breakdowns and the ball might have been on the wing or it's been kicked away because I just wasn't experienced with the game. And, uh, you know, lots of the lads that I went to watch the game with, uh, because it is like a, like a school trip, they, we were all having the same problem. We literally couldn't follow the ball because we had no idea the patterns <laughs> of play and where the ball should be. Hmm. So you ended up in the forwards, but one thing I'm interested to ask you about really because and you're quite open about it, so I don't mind asking, I hope you don't yeah. mind me asking, is, is obviously you make a big, you're dyslexic. Yes, yes. Yeah, and you, you make a big point on your Twitter, can't, you know, I can't spell, so, you know, correct it if you want, but yeah. this is just what's happening. And I think you once told me you went to a, a specific school to deal with that. Is that right? I went to a very special school, yeah. It's called St. Da- David's College. I mean, to this day, I am so grateful uh, that my parents managed to scrape enough money together in order to send me there. Very, very niche. Basically, they make you do things. Um, it's not even they make you do things. They just make you. Uh, they make you understand that it's really not that important that exam results are particularly high. Just go out there and do other things. You know, it, it doesn't matter if you want to be like our school produces an awful lot of wood carvers for whatever reason <laughs> it is. You know, there are some marvelous sculptors that come out of St. St. David's College, but it's just actually the fact that you get these lads, and it used to be an all boys school. You get these lads who uh, can't read, can't write confidence is shot and what they do is just send them out and say hey it doesn't really matter and most of them go on to do perfectly well is and that what you were like when you went in yeah 100 percent. still am now i you know i can't i read very slowly i can't really spell too well in fact i can't spell at all my grammar's all uh, all over the place if i want to convey a message it's particularly difficult via the written word mm-hmm. but it's, it's just the way just the way it is you know and there's no point in there is you know, there's no point in being shy about it because it'll it'll only hold it'll only hold you back. Strangely enough, gone. The interesting thing for me is that you, ever since I've met you and everything you do and the way you, you you go out there and you put yourself out there and you built this podcast both with Egg Chasers and with Rugby Dungeon and you make contacts and you get in with people and you you mentioned to me the other day you're off to Farmer Air Show as a guest of people soon. You seem to me a very confident person, but the, you made a point that people come into that school lacking in confidence. Have you always had the confidence or did the school give you that confidence? Um, I think it was two things, actually. I think the school was very good. I also think working from a very young age helped. Now, this right. sounds like not a big deal, right? But I think it really is because the horrible conundrum that I had is I can't really spell kind of read but books didn't really hold my interest I, I love playing rugby but people who listen to podcasts will notice i've got a natural stutter now this stutter is still disruptive but nowhere near as bad as it used to be it, like you literally i literally couldn't say a word i couldn't reverse the charges on a phone call and say my own name uh, jonathan for a person who's got a stutter with its three syllables is a nightmare yeah. but for whatever reason it is um my grandmother who owns um like 
small coat well reasonably sized coaching hotels in Llandidnil made me wait tables and I used to stand in front of these tables stuttering trying to take orders like just asking what do you want do you want soup could take me 30 seconds but you just had to go out and do it over and over again to a new set of strangers over and over again and eventually you kind of got how many times did you how many times did you not want to do it before you were happy with doing it Every, every day every day like you know you wouldn't like even in in rugby in my like when i was 19 you don't talk on the bus you don't um uh you know you, you don't read in public i wouldn't I, until about five years ago i wouldn't put my hand up and ask a question in a public situation because i don't think i'd be able to say it the thought of d- saying or talking in front of a large crowd of people is just completely it was completely off the table completely completely off the table and when you um see these uh, charities or people that work with people with stutters, a lot of people just never get out of it. And you think, well, what on earth will become of these people? Mm. And it's a weird one because no one ever sees it. No one ever sees it because these people are incredibly quiet. And, you know, take the BBC who make a big song and dance about diversity and disabilities being uh, visible and so on and so forth. When's the last time that you saw someone with a serious stammer in any form of media? They just don't exist. Well, apart from a documentary about people with serious stammers. No, they don't. They don't tend to. They don't, you don't see them, do you? <laughs> Yeah, exactly right. Because they just don't want to be out there. So yeah, I uh, those so two. So what things. on earth possessed you to decide to start doing something where you broadcast your voice to literally tens of thousands of people? Uh, I just felt that I had something to say about, about rugby. Uh, do you know what? I actually think I just liked the idea of doing it. I listened to podcasts all the time. I listened firstly to NFL podcasts because you don't get. You don't get good sports coverage of American sports in the UK. And I was really into NFL. So I started trying to find information, found the podcasts. From the podcasts, uh, I listened to a podcast um, called Adam Carolla. It was a guy who... My friend who shares, I would say, similar political views to you really likes Adam Carolla. I, I, I love the guy. I mean, everything... And he was one of the first, wasn't he? He was like in the millions. He was almost one of the first in the world, wasn't he? Adam Carolla. Yeah. Pretty much, like I've been to watch him live. Don't uh, you know this that, and the other? I'm sure if you listen to me broadcast, you might pick up things which I steal, which I, <laughs> I really admit. Um, yeah, for, from there, and I thought, you know, it's such an amazing skill for him to have. And then, luckily, I met Tim Cocker, who is my co-host uh, in Egg Chasers. Yeah, at Broughton Park. Um, you know, we just hit it off. I was going to ask you how you met. Is that what you met? You were both playing at Broughton Park, were you, basically? Simple as that. Yeah, we put in a wrestling drill together and I batted him. I, I, <laughs> I beat him three or four times, convincing. I'll get Tim on next week and see what his view with the uh, wrestling... Uh... I, I'm pretty sure he'll come to the same conclusion as Tim me. Tim played to quite a decent standard, didn't he? Didn't yeah, he's a really good player. I mean, it's a shame that he didn't play more with us. He uh, played uh, Manchester when they were in the championship. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, limited opportunities there. But you've got to remember, like, when you're playing in the championship at that level, it's bloody hard. You can play hooker, you can play back row. Amazing natural fitness. He's got good genetics for it. His brother played there. His brother now is coach at Rotherham. He played at London Irish, played at Sale. Bloody good player. Um, maybe a bit old-fashioned for the for modern coaches' tastes. But when a, a coach got to know him and, play, and played him, he was always a regular starter. So, yeah, Tim's got a great, great rugby pedigree. But more importantly, he's hell of a broadcaster. Uh, so, so, when, so when you had that conversation back then, obviously yes. he's a radio... Was he a radio presenter then? I don't know how long yes. he's been in the game for. So is, does he love radio so much that he wants to do it in his spare time? Was he not a bit, oh, it's a bit of a busman's holiday? Who was driving it? Was it both of you? Was it somebody's idea more than another person's idea? I think 
if I remember correctly, he knew I was into podcasts. And I think he might have... I think I might have mentioned it. Like, you should do a rugby podcast. Mm. I never thought of it again because I thought I was completely, totally ill-equipped to do this. Were you still stammering then and all that stuff? Then? Yeah, Tim used to spend hours getting rid of stutters on... Uh, Did he really? On, on audition, oh, that's yeah. amazing. Fair, fair play to him. He, we used to record on a Sunday and he used to literally go through like line by uh, like you know waveform by waveform uh, which is great for, you know I, I'd, I'd well, what about any- what about the diversity jb you should have left them in you're saying that nobody's represented i'm only joking go on forget that forget that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting humiliated for anyone's diversity <laughs> me first first and foremost so when, um, i mean i don't want to, this is just, about rugby but when did the stammering stop? I, I, like you said, you still have it, but when did it become a... You don't still edit them out now, do you? Don't you well, if you do, it's, oh, very, yeah. it's very well done. Uh, no, it still exists. I can't explain it. I can't tell you why it comes, why it goes, what, situ- what situations it occurs in. Sometimes when I'm interviewing, I tell you when it does occur. If I'm interviewing and I haven't prepared and there's like a shock of nerves because you think, mm-hmm. oh, where am I going to go next? Am I going to be found out to be a fraud, so on and so forth? Um, <laughs> You know, it might manifest itself there, and that's not a good place—a good place to be. I honestly don't know, and you know what? I don't think anyone really knows, because you know, there's that film, the King uh, King's Speech, mm. which pretty much is a, a is a documentary, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, like, even they didn't know. I mean, no, nobody knows, and they don't know how to stop it other than continual repetition. Excuse the pun. Yeah. When you were in the, what's interesting, but I don't get into this too much, but. You went because of your dyslexia and all that stuff. You went and you're obviously struggling in mainstream schooling. That is the inference oh, I'm getting. Um, your parents paid for you to go to a private school. Yes, it's an interesting question about where was the state in all of this? Oh, where was the state? Well, you know, it's my view that the state is horribly ill-equipped to serve the needs of children that 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 really need them. You know, they provide a very good service for say, you know a c-grade students but they really let down the people at the very worst end of special needs i've seen this firsthand and they also let down down the very brightest and i think that is a problem with one size fits all um i i can tell you right now if i went to the local comprehensive john bright Hmm. i might have done something i don't know but i'm pretty sure i would probably still be in wales and i wouldn't be up to much I, i i'm pretty sure that i know that much so it comes back to that gift of they said it didn't really matter that much and you can put yourself out there and do something good. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, it, you know, you've just got to... I think the other thing is you can't expect anything to happen overnight. You've just got to keep on at it. And you can't be afraid to be embarrassed. I think that's a lot of... A lot of people don't do things because they're afraid to be embarrassed. Yeah, that I do agree with, yeah. I've, I, I suffer from an almost pathological lack of embarrassment. <laughs> that's why I can honestly this is why I can sing karaoke sober why I can do yeah. all kinds of stuff that is truly amazing actually I mean out of all the things that I've heard people doing singing karaoke sober <laughs> it, I, I work with a lady um, who is teetotal and she goes she comes out on stuff nights out you know she'll, she'll, she'll always go, go on a night out and she dances she dances sober it's incredible oh I do that yeah it, pervert yeah it's yeah Both of you. it's <laughs> Yeah, my name is Lee Calvert and I'm a pervert because I dance sober, yeah. But yeah, so throughout all of this, you mentioned rugby. Yes. Do you see rugby played a part in your, I'm sorry, you're going to use a horrible word. I don't want to use the word 
in your working your way through the stammer, dyslexia, your lack of confidence, did rugby play a part in it, or was that just something you did and you never analysed that that much? I don't really know is the answer. I know it played a huge part of my identity when I was younger, i.e., when I wasn't in rugby circles, I liked to play the big man that, hey, look, I play, uh, I play rugby on side tough. Mm. And I really loved that image. And I think that in itself does provide confidence. Um, it was only really the other day I was, I, I was thinking this, which is like how much rugby teaches you, even as someone uh, who wasn't particularly any good at it. I mean, I, I had a coach called Jason Duffy. To this day, still one of the best coaches that, 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 that I've had. Is this at Colby Bay? No, at Broughton Park. Right. Uh, he, was, he played at Sale. He's actually a couple of years younger than me. He, um, he's now at Sepper School. He's done RFU work, England under eight, under 16s. Real top quality coach, right? And what he kind of instilled is like, you've got to work hard. You've got, I mean, you've, uh, you've, uh, you've got to do your bad jobs. You've got to be accountable. And we, we used to mock him and we still do mock him. I mean, if he was here now, I would mock him mercilessly. But it's that, <laughs> it's that accountability. And the shame, I guess the thing is about rugby, which is a real shame about it, is you don't realize how much it gives you until you're near the end of the, you know, near the end of, of the road, really. Yeah, I interviewed a friend of mine on here the other week, Joel, who did this an episode of this, and he's he was played to a decent standard league and union. He he was thirty eight when he finally turned it in, and he really struggled. Yeah, for like two years he didn't. He's in his early forties now. He didn't really, he you know the whole rhythm, the the the, the set out Tuesday Thursday training game Saturday, how you get rid of stuff out of your system. He just couldn't deal with it at all because it is so important. I think what I like to think about rugby as well. Well, I'll ask you the question. When you were in groups of people, you were stammering and all that kind of stuff, which was nothing to do with rugby. I always get the impression that you might get the piss taken out of you. Oh, it's brutal. Whereas you go to a rugby club and actually, no, mate, you're our fucking bloke with a stammer. No, (laughs) far from it. Far from it, right, okay. Yeah, far from it. Like The the rugby coaches from Colin Bay were absolutely brutal. But it, it... it just shows that, you know, it doesn't really matter. A, a lot of comedians say um, that they're funny because in their formative years, they never said anything. You know, they were bullied and they, had to, mm. and they had to keep it in. And I wonder if there is something to that because you spend so much, so much time on a bus getting absolutely hammered. Uh, that you, you may, you, you know, maybe you do form some funny thoughts or some unique perspectives or some such thing. I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe more people need to be bullied or more people need you know, a bit of a hard ride in order to realise what is funny, what works, what doesn't work, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, the, you know, the coaches were brutal, but I wouldn't change them for the world. I wouldn't change any of that stuff for the world. So you got into podcasting with Tim. Yep. Actually, no, I'll come back to that in a minute. You, so you, go, for, you go to Broughton Park, you're playing there, you going? You was this? Before, were you single then? Were you with somebody? Was this something that you? I don't want to get into how many relationships you've had, but what I'm saying is, is that was it always just part of your life while you were working? I'm also interested to um, explore what you do for a living and how you got there. Yeah. Uh, so, simple answer to how what I do for a living and how I got there is, uh, I'm an IFA. Uh, my father was an IFA. Ah, right. And, um, you know, when I I, I, I went to university. Uh, I literally did maybe five lectures in two years. Maybe. That sounds familiar. Yeah, I managed to burn through about, uh, I don't know, God knows, God knows, God knows how, um, uh, uh, how, uh, how much cash. 
uh, completely failed and then went and then went back to North Wales, at which point um, my father said, right, you're either working for me or you're going to have to leave, you know, do something. And I thought, well, the obvious option is to work for, work for my dad. So I worked for him for about two, two, three, maybe, maybe, maybe something like six months. Pass some, pass some rather basic financial planning exams. I'll, I'll be honest with you, financial planning uh, is not rocket science. Um, and then I ended up getting a job with probably the worst organization that I've ever been part of, ever, called Brown Shipley Private Bank. Uh, you know, the, actually, no, the second worst, or, worst organization ever. Uh, Brown Shipley Pri- Private Bank were some of the nastiest people that you've ever come were they, across. Were they every, everything what people think private bankers are like? No, nothing, nothing like it. Um, they weren't flash. They, they weren't right. anything. Really, they were just snide and you know condescending. It was you know uh, like you would take. It's a sort of place, right, that you would take your lunch later, um, in order so when you came back you had less time in work. I mean that that's the sort yeah. of place it was. I mean really, really, um, uh, just just not particularly nice individuals. And that was on the fa- like financial planning side. The um, you know the rest of the organisation might. Uh, might have been lovely, but you know, they were they were they were really really dreadful. But probably the worst organisation that I worked for was directly after that, a company called Montpellier, and these guys are fascinating. They were like 92 different co- di- different companies all kind of merged together. And the reason they managed to do this is because there's one guy called um, shall I mention his name? Yeah, why not? He, he's called Watkin Gittins. He's Welsh. He's Welsh fellow, big big rugby fan, and basically he built a tax avoidance scheme. <laughs> From 1984 until when I was working there, something like a couple of billion quid went through his tax avoidance scheme, and he went around buying these little, like, like these little fiefdoms, and then yeah, it was so underhand that they would have like a department for collecting mail, so that if you were a tax client of theirs, you send your post to a central location along with everyone else's post to make sure they got a standardised response in case the inland revenue wrote to you. I mean, that's just, those levels of uh, th- those were levels that they went to. Anyway, as you may have guessed, it all it all went under re- relatively mm. relatively quickly. But you know, in terms of, I always say to people that I know a lot about financial services purely because I've seen exactly how it should should be done. I mean, I worked with a guy actually. He, he he used to drive a Porsche. Do you remember the football player, Bob, Bob Bobby Petter? Yes. Well, Bobby Petter paid for some tax advice. The only problem is Bobby Petter had no money to pay for his tax advice, so instead handed his financial advisor the keys to his Porsche. <laughs> so go back to the IFA. Obviously, you've got to qualify to be an IFA. I know this. Yeah. I used to work in financial services myself, and my wife qualified as an IFA. But uh, the going back to the dyslexia thing. How did you find that? Easy. I mean, uh, thank God. I mean, uh, you know, you want to be an IFA, it's just a bunch of multiple choice exams. Uh, it hasn't really moved. In my mind, it hasn't moved on terribly since like the 80s where you could just go door like door to door. Well, it has moved on a lot, actually. But fundamentally, it's can you get on with people? Can you talk to people? Can you, you know, uh, are, are you an ethical person? As long as you're ethical, you can do a fairly, fairly good job. But, uh, you know, anyone trying to pass off IFA workers, you know, on par with, um, you know, doctors or dentists or other barrister or something, yeah. Barrister, it don't do not believe them. And actually, you know, I'd say IFA is probably the pinnacle of the investment world because 
there are worse people out there, like fund managers. I mean, I could talk to you too about fund managers all uh, uh, all day long. Just absolute sharks, uh, and they don't, they don't produce any value. They don't do anything, you know. So, um, yes, uh, I don't know what the yeah. I don't know what the question was, but no, that's your I asked you about your career, and then, and then you. Oh no! Is it everywhere? No, sure. Stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans. <laughs> Need to get in the kitchen and calm down. Or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. As more sectors across Ireland are reopening, the COVID-19 pandemic unemployment payment is changing. If you're currently receiving this payment, the amount you receive will change from the 16th of November. To find out more about how these changes will affect you, visit gov.ie forward slash PUP changes. A Government of Ireland initiative brought to you by the Department of Social Protection. Picked it up and thank you. So <laughs> to come back to the other bit of your career, your podcasting bit, you meet Tim at Broughton Park. You decide to give this a go. Yes. Did you bring, was it just you two? Did you bring Phil on board? How do you know Phil? So yeah, Phil is a very good friend of mine um, who I met through um uh, friends of friends. He went to Lancaster University. Uh, my next door neighbour, who ended up playing for the Barbarians, went to Lancaster University. When we met through him, uh, fundamentally, right? Mm-hmm. Now, me and Tim had done a podcast about rugby. Uh, when did we do it? Like, oh, five, six years ago, maybe. And then I think Tim, being the professional broadcaster, looked at what we'd done and thought, "I am never releasing that." <laughs> I, I could see the disappointment in his eyes. It was just me and him. Uh, he's trying to keep the show on the road and I'm just not coming up with anything funny or engaging or anything. So I think he just binned that. And I kept on, on it. And I was like, Tim, can I listen to the podcast? When's it up? When's it up? And we kept on going on and on and on. So in the end, he decided to come around my house and we recorded another one. But I asked Phil, I said, Phil, do you want to just come and listen to this? You know, it's such a novel idea that we do a podcast. And I think anyone who knew me at the time would say, what? You, you're going to do a podcast? Okay, fine. Um, Tim, uh, Tim, Phil and a guy called Blake who lasted six episodes and then left. He was our rugby league league influence. Right. And we did, we did that podcast. And Tim again, sort of like, not sure that's going to work. Binned it again. And then the next one, I said, right, Tim, come on, let's give it one more go. One more go. And uh, what he did is he snuck us into the XFM studios. And we did one there. And the sound was much better. And for whatever reason it was, it must have just about made the grade for Tim. And we released it. And then we just did one every week ever since. And I actually think I have not missed a week podcasting. No, I've missed one week in like five years or something like that. Amazing. From, from, from that day, yeah. You yeah, do about... take it very seriously on that score, don't you? Because some weeks, you know, I, might, I just might say, I've just got so much on, I can't even bring my brain the time to actually put my thoughts together to podcast. So we'll just sack it off this week. And not very often, but I've certainly done that. Maybe that's why I'm, we're not as popular as you guys. But it's uh, the... So the Phil thing, because obviously the chemistry on the pod, those who, I mean, I think anyone listening to this probably does listen to Egg Chasers, you're the kind of the original rugby pod. It's really good. And in fact, to be honest, listening to you guys made me think I'm going to give this a go. I wasn't, we do something different to you, but that's what made me think to do it. I mean, to be fair, if I'd have listened to us, I'd have thought, yeah, I could definitely do that. Uh, no, it wasn't, it wasn't like that, but I know what you mean. But yeah, it, it did make me realise if you just get people who've got good chemistry you can talk, people want to listen to it. If you've got something yes. interesting to say, so it did give me that. Did you? Phil's the stat man, isn't he? 
And he has really, yeah. really good analytical insight. I'm not saying nobody else does, but he has particularly good, sharp points to make, good memory, well-briefed. Did you deliberately go, Phil's that kind of guy, we need him? Or did you just try and it just worked? No, we just literally just asked him to come along. I mean, Phil is, uh, you know, I talk very nicely about a lot of people, right? But Phil is an exceptional mind to the nth, to the nth mm. degree. I mean, like, his mathematical skills are truly incredible. Uh, like, his spatial awareness is amazing. His dedication to whatever he does is, is exceptional. He, he's literally one of the most impressive people that I've ever met, including everyone that I've ever met in rugby or politics or in air forces or anything like that. He is right, he is right up there. So when people say, you know, did we pick him for his stats or is he, you know, is that, is that his job? No, that's not his job. He's just got a great natural gift mm. for these sort of things. And he's so, he's so fair and balanced that it actually, you know, Tim is the moderator. Tim leads it. Mm. But actually, I think if you dug a little bit beneath the surface, you would find it's actually Phil that moderates it because quite often it's me and Tim arguing probably the same point, yes. but just trying to see who can get Phil to agree with them. And that's how you win an argument. Does Phil write the quizzes? Uh, depends which quiz. Uh, not, uh, Springbok on or or Nazi war criminal will forever be mine. Of course it will. Uh, yeah, yeah. Of course. But uh, to be honest, we get so many quizzes uh, submitted to us that um, we that's, just use one that's of them. The, one of the biggest, again, the biggest joys about podcasting I've found, and you might is is the the self generation of content that your listeners do. Isn't it? And it's I just, great. And not I because mean, it saves me a job. It's genuinely lovely that they kind of get what you do and say you'll find this funny. Listen to this. You think that, look at this. And the fact that yeah. people want to hear what you think about things, I still can't quite get over that, really. No, I mean, the more I think about it, the more... I, I, I wonder if we will get... Find, I don't say we, I don't mean you and I. I mean, we as in egg chasers will get find out, found out at some point because I've noticed on Twitter in particular that the standard of articles been written um, is just so good. I mean, you look at guys like um, Alex Shaw. Alex I Shaw mean, is ridiculously good. It's ridiculous. I mean, how do you compete with that? I just watch TV I, and... I, I got I got a job to... I was writing a weekly column for Rugby Pass last year. Okay. And they were paying me to do it. And I was just kind of doing what I do. And they quite they kind of quite liked it. And then they wrote to me after about, I think, about six months and said, look, with the restructuring Rugby Pass, they're not going to pay as much for, for, for freelance content. So, sorry, you know, you're on your way. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I think about three weeks later, Alex Shaw started writing for them. And I was like, yeah. yeah, I understand why you've been me off now because that guy <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah. He is. And there's another guy, I'm trying to think of his name, does the Telegraph. Charlie um, Morgan. Charlie Morgan's bloody brilliant. Outstanding, yeah. Nice guy um, as well. Yeah, your, um, your boy Paul, Paul Williams. Paul Williams, another, yeah. yeah. Very, very good writer. Uh, and I just think that the amount of content which is coming out now, it, the standard is so much higher. I mean, how, mu how much longer can three blokes... Uh, I mean, admittedly, we do have a bit of background... Um, or you know, behind the scenes information with Tim at BT Sport and maybe some of the rugby dungeons and stuff. But ultimately, it's so hard to keep up with these guys because they're do, so good at good at what they do. Do you see yourselves as analysts of the game, though? I don't know what we are. I honestly don't know what because we are. that's what those guys are. Those guys are kind of analysts of the game who involve time in it and, and trying to work their way through it. It's interesting to know what you guys think you are. Yeah, I don't. I mean, me in particular. I know Tim would say he's a host and a fan. I think Phil is foremost a quantity surveyor who <laughs> has a brilliant mind and can turn it to rugby. Um, and as for me, I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm still phenomenally connected to, to the game. I don't mean con uh, connected as in to players. I mean, actually, 
this is what I do with my time. I play a lot of rugby. Yeah. I, I coach rugby. I think about rugby. I play rugby. And that's the only small advantage I can see that I have over guys like Alex Shaw, who just, can, you know, just their reporting is so, so good. Um, I, I'm definitely not an analyst because mm. I, I'm just not. Maybe, maybe, do you know what I am? That awful, that awful thing, influencer, which means you have no particular skill, but some, for some reason someone listens to you. I guess that's the only thing you can call yourself. Yeah, I'll be because I only asked the question because I know I'm not an analyst and I'm not trying to do that with our podcast. You know, mm. if you want somebody to analyze tactically a game, you've probably got a BBC podcast that can do that. You've probably got Phil on your podcast who can do it with help. You've got all those people you've just mentioned. So I don't even bother. You know, we, we, we come at it from a completely different angle because yeah. I think people just want to hear us talk about the game, I think. As you know, in the game, pluralistically? Yes, as in the, the the game of rugby, what happened that weekend, what's tickled our fancy about it, where, you know, what kind of stream of consciousness nonsense we can go on about related to it. I'll tell you what I try and do, right? And whether this comes across or not, I don't know, okay? But I, I've taken a leaf out of the NFL's book because there's some of their some of their podcast content is excellent. And what they do really well is they make a storyline out of something which isn't a storyline. I think that in itself is is a skill now we're not maybe well yeah. we're definitely not as good as them but it's things like you know what is going to happen um uh in in, the, um, in this game what are the personal matchups what uh, what does it mean to to the to the fans you know are there any underlying storylines that kind of thing that's what uh, you guys are far better at than than we do yeah and, you, and you're one of the best at that when i listen to i don't religiously listen to loads of other rugby podcasts but i do dip in and out and tim in particular is good and phil as well in that kind of, that exactly what you've just said. Yeah, and it, I think it's maybe trying to, maybe trying to create storylines. The, the thing about the NFL content, not to go on about that too much, but it draws you in. And you know, I remember when I first started listening to the NFL podcasts, I'm thinking like, bloody hell, this is massive. That you know, the third string linebacker Atlanta <laughs> is turning with the Texans. This is huge. How is everyone in 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 New York not talking about t- talking about this? And of course they're not. It's only idiots like me listen to these podcasts i do find the american podcasts and documentaries about sport do a brilliant job of that full stop i've watched ken burns's documentary about baseball he's a guy just did the vietnam war one recently yeah and he did it on baseball it's 20 hours long is it i mean obviously in, in episodes but in total it's 20 hours long and it's one of the most fascinating things I've ever watched. And I have never watched a game of baseball ever in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, same with me. Well, I've watched, obviously, games of NFL. But prior to that, I was just obsessed with, like, the training and the detail and, you know, how these organizations structured and, structured and set up. And, uh, you know, the whole U.S. Um, sport infrastructure on the documentaries and that kind of thing. It's so brilliant. I mean, like... You will watch a U.S. documentary about uh, the Bengal Tigers. Bengal Tigers? What am I talking Cincinnati about? Cincinnati Bengals. It's Cincinnati Bengals, right? And uh, maybe the first 10 seconds is an out-of-focus shot of a sprinkler. And I'm still involved because of the music. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, I see these blurry players walking towards me. But I'm just so, so into it. The production's brilliant. And uh, I, I promise I will stop talking about the NFL now. But... Um, you know, one of the things that they did brilliantly in the 60s or 70s was set up NFL films. And I think, actually, without NFL films, the NFL wouldn't be nothing like... Yeah, everything so, they produce is glorious, yeah. Isn't it? 
I, I don't understand why rugby doesn't do the same things because our well, optics... I tried it with that All Blacks all or nothing and it was dreadful. Oh, really? I've not still not seen I've that. Seen, well, sorry, I've seen three episodes and, I've, and I don't want to watch any more of it. I tell you the man to follow, and I think he'll do some really good stuff, is Jim Hamilton. Um, you know, you know, if you don't know Jim oh, Hamilton, yeah. turn off now. Um, <laughs> but I, I was talking to him about you know, some of his plans, his documentaries, and they're really exciting. I mean, Rugby Pass have done that one with the Newport Gwent Dragons, or they Gwent Dragons, or they just Dragons, whatever just they dragons are. Just Dragons now. Just Dragons. And that was fascinating. I'm thinking, like, you need to get the fans invested in the stories behind the players. And I think that's the only way they're going to grow the game, whether it be rugby league, rugby union, yeah, any yeah. sport. And I think that's how American football's done so well. You get so invested with the stories. Speaking of growing things and, and, and the time it takes to do that, you every time I've known you for a little while now, met you a couple of times, every time I ever say, what you up to? You're always up to an unbelievable amount. You're doing yeah. a Love Island, at the minute, just correct me if I'm wrong, you're doing a Love Island podcast, a podcast about... Um, fighter pilots you're yes. doing a, this podcast and your rugby you, you've kindly agreed to give some time to me to do this you've got your rugby dungeon you've got the egg chasers you work full-time you've got a young yep. baby you're married yep you then you, you you're reaching out to players you're doing interviews it's all of it there's probably other stuff i've not thought of what's it like in jb's brain um it's it's it, it's a difficult one that fundamentally it's a mess a lot of a lot of things get left by the wayside for instance i'm in the rugby dungeon right uh, right now a little studio that, that we built and it is a mess because some things have to you know get shelved for instance you know i should sort out my wires i should do lots of things i just don't have time for that on the other hand you do make time for things which are important i imagine things will change as you know, I've got a daughter. As she, you know, as she gets older, she's going to need more time. I'm sure my wife won't put. Up, maybe, maybe she will put up with it for a little longer. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> but you know, I'm sure things will will change. Ultimately, what you've got to do is you've got to be you've got to get really efficient. So in work, when I get to work, I've just got to get as much stuff done as I can. And being in financial services, it's all target driven anyway. So as long as you're hitting good targets, making someone else, someone else someone else money they're more than happy for you to be there i think we were lucky because of our situation with egg chasers mm. and also R rugby dungeon we were able or at least i was able to generate some income fr from that and that also puts a new slant on it because you can you can kind of say well you know if i put my job in jeopardy a little bit by doing you know four days hard work rather than five days and there is a little bit of risk there well you know it's worth it because the opportunity cost of whatever we're making from the podcast probably you know probably allow um allows me to do that but you know i just find time i, I don't know how people say this to me i don't feel busy it's not like um i feel rushed off my feet or stressed and i, I think that's the thing interesting thing about it to be honest jay is that you don't feel busy if you were to present your life to a lot of people they would probably go oh my god yeah but you what know, else would it's relentless I mean, what else would you be doing? Uh, that that would be my other thing. I mean, um, I think as you get older, you get very much more aware that time is going much, much quicker. Like, what would I rather be doing than talking to you tonight? Pro 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 probably nothing else. I listen, I listen to your podcast. I find you very, very engaging. My other option would be to go and watch the news or some such thing. And like, if you give me a, an option of, you know, going training and, you know, developing a new skill set uh, with the lads at, Di at Didsbury Talk H or, you know, having a conversation with Tim or interviewing a rugby player, a guy that has made it from, 
you know, some academy somewhere, and then got all the way through to international, and then maybe he's become a coach. And, you know, some of the people that I'm talking to on the rugby dungeon, it sounds quite self-referential, but I guess it kind of answers your question. You know, I'm so amazed that I'm even able to talk to these guys. Mm-hmm. What on earth would I rather be doing? So have you, you mentioned this before, let's ask the question again. Have you always been this industrious in things that you pursue? No, not really. Uh, and I think that's the I think that's the difference, which is, you know, I, nobody really gets excited about, I don't know, bar work or... I, I feel very sorry for people, you know, who haven't actually found the thing which they enjoy doing. I, I mean, I love... That r- is r- true, yeah. yeah. And if podcast fail tomorrow or, you know... I still got rugby, you know. I, I absolutely love that. You know, it's still still today. I mean, I'm I'm jaded a little bit, but you get to choose afternoon, and I literally can't wait to go and play. I literally can't wait. And I feel incredibly sorry for people that haven't found that and just show up to a job day in day out for you know for whatever reason and just haven't found the hobby or you know the extracurricular activity or whatever it is. I mean, I would love to be doing this full full time to be mm. honest. Oh yeah, wouldn't we all? But yeah, it's, it's great. Talking for a living is great. Oh, absolutely. That's why I stopped writing. I don't write anymore. I just want to talk all the time. Yeah. Although, do you know what? I get a lot of pleasure out of writing. I've done a few articles. It takes me, as you can imagine, an absolute age. But there is something so much more rewarding about like, crafting a good article than there is about doing a, doing a podcast. Everybody wants to know, are you still banned from sale? No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I am very much in the sale fold. Thank God. Um, <laughs> a little bit of a miscommunication, we might say, but I'm back inside the diamond sphere. Well, that's good. Yeah. This industrious thing you talked about playing, would your teammates say you were this industrious when you're on the field? No, absolutely not. My work rate is atrocious. Uh, I've got one big, one big tackle, one big carry roughly every 10 minutes. That's probably kind, actually. Make it more like once every 20 minutes. I, you know, as a coach, I get to decide... How we sub- how we use our substitutes at our level? You allowed rolling subs. I come on ten minutes before the half, ten minutes ten minutes after the half. So yeah, I'm not in. I'm in relatively good shape for a thirty year old that works in a thirty four year old that works in office. I'm in horrendous shape compared to the guys that I'm currently playing with. That's why I sometimes think about. I'm in my early forties. I'm older than you, and I sometimes think about going back because in your mind you're still twenty six. Yeah, you can do it, and you think that. I'm pretty sure if I got hit hit by a lad who's 25 who actually goes to the gym, I'd probably get powdered now. But uh... yeah, massive now. I mean, I walk around Manchester, and I think everyone must be going to the gym. Now I don't know if everyone was always going to the gym. I feel it is a rather recent development. But you wander around now, and everyone's got a sleeve tattoo when they're in some tight Zara t-shirt. You think, bloody hell! Yes, it is. Um. So you mentioned you're a coach there. Yep. Is that something? So is that the next? Is when obviously the body inevitably gives up. Will you? Is that your commitment then to be still? You mentioned to me when we talked on another yes. podcast about how not being involved and stuff like that. You will continue to be a coach. I would. Yeah. I mean, I I don't think you can be involved in the game at any level really, and particularly talk about it unless you give something back to your community and your and your club. I think that is primarily one of the most important things i think this is where local rugby clubs go wrong and a lot of people i would say have a lot to answer for but it's certainly disappointing i mean i I mentioned in my in my interview of you on rugby dungeon right that you know uh, people like phil or people like tim or you know my friend brian who played played for barbarians in fact there's a low there's a whole list of people that 
need to go back to their clubs just you know to support the lads and have a beer and you know put some money behind the bar and that kind of thing and not only that you know if you are talking about the game like um like like i am how on earth do you encapsulate uh, what it is to be a rugby player and what it is to join the club and have that sense of community unless you're actually part of it mm-hmm. i don't understand how you can you know how, how how you can how you can progress that so even if I'm not coaching, because in- invariably at some point, again, someone will find me out as a bit of a fraud and I will lose my job. But I'll still get in- be involved in a club in some way. Maybe team manager. That's a good one because you don't need any technical skills and you can talk a, a, a lot of shop and all you need to do really is phone people. That, that could be the one for me, actually. I do love, well, on your WhatsApp, you're kind of, you know, you, you can put a strap on your WhatsApp, like, hello, I'm using WhatsApp. Is it, doesn't you all say something like, don't even think about it if it's about not coming to training? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I can't remember exactly what it is. It's something but, like that, but yeah. It's a... Yeah, I used to, I'll just find out now. I, I used to get a load of messages on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, like, oh, I've got a bad ankle. Uh, yeah. Uh, think think twice if your message is not about training. <laughs> or about because, not training, yeah. Yeah, because like the amount of lads... This is why I'm kind of against um, female physios in lower leagues, which is we used to get a okay, huge... I'm, I'm interested where this is going. Go on. Yeah. We used to get a huge turnout. Uh, well, not huge. A largest tur- turnout in Broughton Park. And I'm convinced that most of them showed up in, injured for Broughton Park because they got to see our our physio. And we've had, uh, had a fair few attractive physios. And I just don't think that we should have them there because... It is almost an incentive for the boys not not to train. In fact, as soon as they turn an ankle or it gets wet, the amount of injuries that you have is absolutely huge. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, my thing about training is there's so many lads that just text with like a niggle, you know, I can't come down. But yeah, you can put out cones, you know, you you, you can ref a game, you uh, you can hold a bag. So that's kind of the thing. Leading really. on from your comments about female physios, there, will you be yeah. will you be encouraging your daughter to play rugby? 100%. I was coaching, although very briefly. And I say coaching. I was helping coach uh, the Broughton Park ladies team for a, a little while. And um, yeah, I think it's a really, really healthy and good environment for, you know, for women to, to progress in sport. This is the thing, the thing about rugby. We get an image of this macho... Um, you know, dog eat dog kind of um, kind of culture, and actually, once you get into it, there there is that. I mean, there is that in inside you know the first like the first team change room. That's all directed at each other, and in a lot and in a lot of ways, that's kind of a term of endearment. The person you don't want to be is the person that no one talks to. So that's fine. Yeah, that is true. But everything else, right? I've never known a, an organization or organizations that have so quickly embraced the women's game. I mean, we played against Manchester. I've been playing against Manchester Spartans now for, you know, they must have been in Manchester for about 10 years. My old um, club, Broughton Park, had the Bingham Cup, which is the Gay, which is the Gay World Cup. I mean, for all, for all the image of rugby, it truly is one of the most in, inclusive, me, inclusive meritocracies that there is. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a phenomenal way to get... And, and here's the other thing, not, not to go on too much about how worthy rugby is. Um, because we have had this chat already, but isn't it? It's one of the very few places that people can interact with people of different generations, and I find that so weird. I mean, where else do you find at the bar 
you know, the 19-year-old cult chatting to the 60-year-old president. And I think actually those are the sort of um, relationships in rugby which are the most important. We had a bloke at our club, he was about 62, older probably, mid-60s, still used to come on tour, and he he was the worst-behaved guy on tour. Yeah. We go at 22, he was hilarious. And I don't mean in a horrible misogynist, he was just hilarious on tour. Yeah. I, and I don't think... I. You know, for all the chat about diversity and you know, uh, uh, you know, an inclusive circle of friends and blah blah blah, the the one area that we really don't address is, um, you know, between generations. I mean, how how many people do you go for for a drink with outside of family who are like sixty or seventy or nineteen? No, I don't know. No. No. I mean, I wouldn't either if it wasn't for the rugby club. And I think that, that yeah, that's true. a really important, really important. And part. I think sport. I mean, it's not just exclusive rugby. I don't think a lot of sports do that. You've, you've, you know, cricket's particularly good. Local cricket yeah, clubs takes so much. You know, because you've got to look after the pitch, and it takes so much, so much commitment from so many people, and they're there for years. You know, it's unbelievable. Yeah, cricket clubs are, are something else, aren't they? Because the commitment just to maintaining the place is so is so difficult. Yeah. Well, that's been a lovely chat, Jay. We're coming up on. An hour-ish. An hour-ish? Yeah. Wow. A little romp through. You've got Love Island to get to, of course. I have. You're your most successful pod now. <laughs> Probably. So, it is phenomenal how easy it is to get people onto a Love Island pod compared to a, compared to a rugby pod. I can imagine. Yeah. There's something about popular culture. Yeah. I might do an well, X Factor one next year or something. That, you'd suit that. You, you know, you, the problem is you can only be amazed by it in that kind of derogatory way for a certain, certain amount of time and when you start buying into the characters you start <laughs> sounding like the people you hate yeah. those that had yeah, monsters must be careful not to become monstrous themselves my kids are watching Love Island because my kids are teenagers and I walked into the it was the first week and my daughter was watching it and there was a Geordie guy with you'll know uh, uh, Adam is that Adam and he was talking to a girl with big mirror glasses on and they've been in for about it's probably all of them why are they all so thin? I don't understand that. Where do they find all those thin people? But um, he they've been in there, I think, about a day. And he was kind of saying, you know, I, I don't feel like you're opening up to me properly and you won't <laughs> let me inside and stuff. And I was like, you've known each other for about 24 fucking hours. How is this not the most uncomfortable conversation you've ever had in your life? I know. I imagine watching Bizarre. that back. Imagine watching it back. Yeah, it's it 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 it's incredible. But you know, it allows me to talk to people again. Beauty podcast. It allows me to talk to people I would never usually talk to in detail. I, I had a really good good conversation with my hairdresser. I would never, <laughs> unless it was for the Love Island podcast. So there you go. That's a good thing to message on the 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 bringing together of communities that podcasts bring across Love Island rugby and anything else you care to think of. Excellent. Cheers, Jay. Well, I enjoyed that. Thank you very you much, too. mate. Take care, mate. Right. Bye-bye. Oh no, is it everywhere? No, sure, stay and sort that out. We can have dinner another time. Amazing. Whether it's cancelled plans... Ah, fuck! Get in the kitchen and calm down. ...or the need for a quick, convenient distraction. Introducing Goodfellas Mini Pizzas. Four mini pizzas made with respect that cook in 11 minutes. Goodfellas Minis. Embrace the unexpected. Sports Social Podcast Network.